Canard fans, and welcome to Season 2 of CanardCast, a podcast for Rattan-designed and Rattan-inspired aircraft. Season 2 is produced by David Williford, with technical support by Izzy Briggs. CanardCast is a production of the Canard Owners and Builders Association, and information on how to join will be provided at the end of this CanardCast. Good day. And thank you for listening to the first episode of Season 2. My name is David Williford. Our first guest can only be described as a seasoned command pilot. Ken Swain has more than 30,000 hours flying everything from the biggest C-5 galaxy to the smallest Rutan Very Easy. Ken lives in rural north-central Illinois, an hour and a half from Chicago, to support his second career as a captain for United, operating out of Chicago O'Hare. Ken's aviation career started with Air Force ROTC at Texas Tech in the fall of 1970. He graduated with a mechanical engineering degree with honors. At the time, the U.S. military was operating under a draft, and his draft number was 30. So, it was either go to college or go to Vietnam. The recruiter tested Ken, where he scored with top marks, and discovered he had an aptitude to be a pilot. His first flying was completed in a Cherokee 140 at a private pilot program in the Texas Panhandle, complements of the military. Ken recalls training at Reese Air Force Base as mostly a battle with the wind. Ken and his wife, Nancy, of 48 years, have raised twin daughters and for a time was able to boast the only four-place very easy on the planet. Ken served in Desert Storm, flying C-5s globally. Other military transport aircraft experience includes C-141s that he was assigned to out of pilot training. Ken retired 20 years having served 10 years active duty, and 10 years in the reserves, completing his career in the reserves in May of 1994. He currently owns both a Very Easy November 4 Zulu Zulu and a Defiant November 1-6 Foxtrot Whiskey. And he discusses his latest trip into Rough River in his Defiant with Izzy Briggs at the Rough River Airport. Well, welcome to today's episode of Canard Cast. I'm your host today, Izzy, and uh, we find ourselves at uh, Rough River, Kentucky, a couple of weeks late, but uh, I have Ken Swain here. Uh, Ken, good afternoon. Well, good afternoon, Izzy. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. All right. Ken, you, uh, you're down here today for a very important function. Can you tell us a little bit about why we're here today? Well, you know... In the commercial world, they often want to keep the schedule moving. They say the airplane flew in, it'll fly out. Well, my airplane flew in, but it wasn't going to fly out. Yeah, we can see it here from the ramp. It's, yeah. uh, it's in various stages of being uh, reconfigured for a ground, a ground flight. Ground egress, yes, on a trailer. Ground egress. Well, that's unfortunate. Um, some of you may know the story, but... Um, we're going to have Ken tell us a little bit about his story here. What happened today, with the, or what happened that day in uh, Rough River? It was a lovely flight down. I had finally got this somewhat complex uh, 
avionics suite that I put into the airplane working really, really great. All the backup stuff was talking to the backup stuff. Had a great flight down, a little bit of a tailwind. Uh, listening, at the, saw, saw a cozy pilot make an excellent decision when he floated halfway down the runway and called a go-around on himself, so he did. And I was right behind him. Those who have landed uh, to the south at Rough River know that uh, a lot of your attention is taken up by that ridge as you come in. Well, uh, that's the first time in all the years I've come here that I uh, landed south, and uh, I paid attention to that. But I, I have this thing where I verbalize checklists. I'm, I'm, uh, checklists are in my DNA. Uh, I lowered the gear uh, before I even entered on downwind. Double checked, looked at the gear down, it was green. Said it out loud to my wife, who was my uh, passenger. Called my places in the pattern at uh, normal pattern speeds and touched down within one or two knots of uh, my planned speed. And uh, within uh, about 50 feet of the threshold, uh, on the good side of the threshold, everything was fine on center line. Lowered the nose, rolled for all of 50 feet, and suddenly the nose collapsed. Oh, boy. Yeah, well, you fly airplanes long enough, stuff breaks. And you fly them even longer, and stuff breaks at really exciting times. But uh, 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 thanks to the kindness of strangers, the, the small fire that erupted when the carburetor got scraped, that was put out. And uh, I had five guys on each side of the canard lifted it up. They're going to try and carry it back. And I said, wait, let's see if I can get that gear to go back down. And the gear did go down, but unfortunately, it uh, went down in a kind of a cock position. So uh, something had been messed up. But it stayed down because the, the uh, kinematics, there's a good 50-cent word for you, the kinematics of the <laughs> nose gear mechanism, uh, held it down. And uh, they pushed, pulled, and uh, used a tow bar to bring it back. And it's been sitting on the ramp for two weeks. While I uh, made all the arrangements uh, for uh, uh, taking it apart and getting it on a proper trailer and uh, the joys of getting a wide load permit because it does have a 12-foot spar, excuse me, 10-foot spar in it. And uh, finally everything came together and we're down here uh, disassembling the airplane. Well, Ken, it's, uh, it's nice to be here today and uh, to work on with you again. Um, your viewers may not, the listeners may not know, but uh, Ken was kind enough to give me uh, four or five hours of transition training in this very aircraft about two months ago. And um, uh, I was, uh, it was nice to see you again uh, down here, even under uncomfortable circumstances. But up there, I got to know you a little bit better. And uh, I understand you were one of the early uh, builders of the, in the Very Easy community. And we traded some really fun stories. Um, tell us about your other, other Canard aircraft. Well, my Verizon uh, is a really interesting airplane. It's not just the airplane itself, but it's the community. Uh, everybody's uh, careers evolve, and folks often move several times during them. But uh, the Canard community, even though we live in different places as we go through our journey of life, uh, you see the same people, and it's... Uh, uh, a camaraderie that uh, I'm sure exists with other types, but uh, I, 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 I can't see it being any better than it is in the community here. But I built my Very Z, I bought my Very Z plans the very first day they became available. And the day they came, I bought my Very Z raw materials kit. And as I was building, 
Uh, I'm one of the guys that suffered through the uh, evolution of the plans from original, original version 1.00 onto what most people think of the very easy. I still have parts sitting on my shelf that I couldn't bear to part with. Uh, that were for the Elevon system, where all the pitch and all the roll were in the elevators. So, yeah, but uh, built the airplane 17 and a half months. And at the time, I was active duty Air Force, uh, flying the uh, long haul cargo line, C 141s. And uh, so I was out of the hemisphere even uh, half that time. But uh, I was really building hard. But one of the reasons I could build it was, you know, I'm flying these complex airplanes in my day job. I wanted what Burt really first envisions the airplane to be, a very lightweight, very fast, fun sport airplane. I built the airplane day VFR, no electrical system, and it stays that way to this day. That's one of the reasons it's made... It's one of the reasons it's made the Oshkosh 44 years in a row now. Uh, last year, I went to Oshkosh, there wasn't a convention, but you know, you get that many years going, you didn't want to stop, right? So I went up, landed, and left. But, uh, yeah. Uh, so, anyway, built the airplane, and I've been flying it with the early canard crowd. Uh, the, the, it, it was really big in California, more so than other places. Not to say that they weren't ever, everywhere, but uh, uh, there was a really, really a good group of folks out there. For those not familiar, there's uh, been a, a string of clubs. Ed, Ed Hamlin, who ultimately uh, died in his very easy doing low-level aerobatics he didn't know how to do. Uh, he started a squadron, something or other, up uh, in the Sacramento area. And then Donna Bernadette Shoup uh, eventually started the Very Easy Hospitality Club, which eventually became the Very Easy Hospitality and uh, uh, Composite Club, IVCHC, something like that. But it, it evolved from that, and that was mostly social. But uh, it was where there was uh, lists of names and phone numbers and addresses, and if you were traveling, you could call on someone for a little bit of support, or maybe even a, a couch to crash on without having to go buy a motel, that kind of thing. And uh, had a lot of fun stuff that we did way back then, but uh, uh, like I said, it was mostly social. And then Arnie Ash thought we needed something in the middle of the country country because uh, there were members of a hospitality club out, out to the middle of the country, but the, once again, it was mostly on the West Coast. Uh, and already started a Central States Association for the central portion of the company, uh, country. And uh, as we all know, after a few years, already passed it off to uh, Terry Schubert, who gave yeoman, yeoman, above and beyond service to uh, CSA for decades. Terry was one of our first Canardcast guests, and um, he gave us some uh, background on on uh, Arnie and, and uh, some of those early crews. So it's fun to hear that from a different perspective. With well, your very easy, you have a uh, heck of an engine on that airplane. Tell us a little bit about uh, make make our make our younger viewer uh, listeners <laughs> jealous about the cost of that engine and, and what it can do. Well, here's the story of how I wound up with that engine. Uh, background is, Bert designed the very easy, and if you, in many of his talks, he said this over and over, and I believe it also says it in the Section 2 plans for the engine installation. The airplane was designed around a Continental C85, but uh, he said you can put up to an O200 in it if you have no starter and no alternator. And it all has to do with what most of the Canard people understand is the critical nature of CG in a Canard airplane. 
Uh, if you put a starter and an alternator on an O200, it became too heavy, in Bert's opinion, uh, to be on the back end of the airplane. And uh, I had bought my uh, plans, like I say, in, in uh, I believe they came out uh, uh, in the spring or summer of 1976. And I was building as fast as any one person could build. I was really working hard to get the, this airplane. I wanted to fly it. And uh, I, I knew I started, needed to start looking for an engine. And that big old yellow newspaper that isn't even published anymore was about the only place you really had to uh, go searching for an engine, short of just word of mouth in the local area. Trade a plane, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just fun to call it the yellow newspaper, but you know what I'm talking about. Right. Anyway, uh, I'm, I was starting to look at engines and look at ads and getting kind of, man, these things are expensive. And I came across a quarter page ad from an outfit called Jet Enterprises in Cincinnati. For all I know, they're still there. Someone, someone said, yeah, they think they were. But at any rate, this was back in very, very early 1977. And the ad said, 125 horsepower like homing 0235. Factory new, in the crate, no exchange, $3,500. And the story of these engines is really unique. They were uh, originally des uh, designed at the request of a French aircraft company, Raleigh. They were building a, a short takeoff and landing airplane that kind of sort of looked like uh, uh, a Cherokee with big flaps. And uh, they wanted a small, light, but powerful engine. And the way Lycoming uh, gave them that was they took uh, an O235, and at the factory, they jacked the compression up to 9.7 to 1. And uh, the thing ran great. Uh, uh, the problem was, as those of you with a little bit of hot rodding or engineering background know, the higher the compression, the higher the likelihood that a cylinder will detonate if you abuse it thermally. Don't cool it enough. So, uh, Lycoming made, uh, this is the story I got from some of the old gray-haired Lycoming reps back uh, in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, Lycoming shipped 100 of these engines over to Europe. And Raleigh put some of them in some of their prototype airplanes. But the problem was, they had an airplane that was climbing at 40 knots. With 40 knots coming in the front cooling. And then the cooling air was exiting in this ultra-high pressure bubble of air that's being created by these double-slotted Fowler flaps on the airplane so it could take off and climb real short distances. So the cooling gradient was atrocious. And uh, what you would expect to happen happened. They started blowing jugs. And the French finally said, good. And they wholesaled them all off to some outfit in Germany who then wholesaled them off to uh, Jet Enterprises. So these edges went to Europe, came back, and uh, it is a certified engine that has never been used in any certified airplane. Interesting. I wrote to Lycoming, and back at, this is before lawyers got between engineers and uh, home builders, and I got a, a factory detail specification on the engine and really did a grind of, uh, the detail specification tells you the weight of virtually everything on the engine. And I stripped the engine down and uh, got it to weigh the same as an O200. 
because I didn't use a prop extension. You know, the O200s have a stubby little case, and the, prop, and the Lycomings have that beautiful long nose. And that's how I got it to uh, be the same. And I, I put the propeller in the same three-dimensional uh, orientation and, and location as the co Continental propeller, and just did lots and lots of math backwards all the way to the firewall. And uh, designed a motor mount, designed a jig to build the motor mount, and then I had to build cowlings and all that. But at the end of the day, what I had was 125 horse, very easy, with the same weight in the ass end of it as a, a typical O200, very easy. Wow. So you go from the smallest in the fleet, and now we've got this Defiant. And um, I tell you, having my first um, my first experience with an aircraft. Uh, and being a canard flyer, cozy and very easy flyer myself, I know that some of our listeners would be interested to get a little bit of insight as to what it's like to fly a Defiant. What are some of the differences in performance in terms of takeoffs and landings and, and things like that with the Defiant? What are things that make the Defiant different from something like a very easy? Well, one, if one engine quits, it still flies. That's always a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. The Defiant, I'll make an analogy, okay? I have a car and a truck. My car is an Audi TTS. It's a sports car. A lot of power, a lot of zip, a lot of get up and go. My truck is an F-250 diesel. And that's kind of a good comparison between a very easy <laughs> and a Defiant. Defiant's a truck, you know? It's big, it's stable, it, you can put all kinds of stuff in it, and it's fast but it's not a sports car. It flies like a transport airplane, which is just fine with me. You know, I got my sports car, my Berry still in the hangar, it still flies, it still goes to Oshkosh. But if I wanna go someplace, I'm gonna go in an airplane that's fully IFR capable and legal, with, with not just a little bit of this and that to make it legal, but with well thought out systems that I can even lose two thirds of what's in the airplane and still safely get out of the sky. Uh, and I'm talking in IFR conditions. You know, so a very easy state VFR, no electrical system. I love it. It'll always stay that way. But if I'm going someplace and I want to at least sort of maintain a schedule, then the Defiant goes. It's that simple. Very nice. Very nice. So you've been to uh, quite a few uh, fly-ins. Um, somebody mentioned a statistic with your very easy and Oshkosh. What? Tell us about that. Well, I think I just told you about that, but uh, the... Uh, this, this Oshkosh was 44 years in a row I flew the airplane to Oshkosh. Uh, uh, another way to look at it is I, I first flew in in 1978, and I want to say there were, I've heard everything from 14 to 25 very easy there in 1978. Bert flew uh, the itty-bitty pre-production prototype N70Z there in 75, and he flew the uh, home-built prototype there in 76. In 1977, there were five airplanes, including Burt's, five, five very easies. And in 1978, the year I first flew in, uh, was uh, there anywhere from 14 to 25. I've heard a lot of different numbers, but uh, that was my first year, and it's been there every year since. Wow, that's quite a, quite a history. I think I was... Uh... I was five when Bert first the, <laughs> <laughs> first went to Oshkosh. With um, you're up in Wisconsin. No, I'm in Illinois. Uh, the airplane's in Wisconsin. Uh, I live just south of the Cheddar Curtain, 
and uh, cheddar curtain. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the uh, airport where I uh, uh, keep the airplanes is uh, less than a mile north of the line. But the line's the line, and uh, it makes a lot of difference. Wisconsin and Illinois rules regarding uh, uh, taxes and licensing and all that kind of stuff, the state regs. Wisconsin, given what, that's where EAA started and still is, is a lot more friendly to experimental airplanes. Mm-hmm. For your uh, Rough River experiences, um, tell us about uh, a time you, a more note, a, a memorable time you've come to Rough River. I know some, some things have changed over time, but Rough River seems to have been pretty consistent flying. It is. It is pretty consistent. Um, you know, I uh, first time I came down to Rough River, it was still uh, uh, pencil on pencil line on the chart, look at the landmarks type stuff. And uh, I came in, landed, and it was fun. This is about, that, the, it was back in the 90s, mid-90s, I think, something like that. Uh, but uh, it's it's just so different when you uh, fire up to Defiant and you get up to cruise altitude and you're doing flight following and uh, you've got a you've got an IFR legal GPS navigator following the course that you laid in, you know, and then you just enjoy the view. Yeah. Quite a quite a different quite a different world today with with yeah. uh, the advances in, in technology. So we'll go uh, one one final question for you. Tell us about your your favorite flight, the favorite kind of flight that you would want to do? What's your, what's your favorite mission in your very easy or your defiant or both? Tell us one or two. Well, I can, I can tell you for, for absolute certain, the, the, other than the first flight, which everybody knows is the best flight, you know, mm-hmm. the first flight of your airplane that you built with your own two hands, whether it took you 17 and a half months like me, or you've been building on it for 15 or 20 years like some of the, the guys with defiance these days. Uh, the first flight is the biggest rush, okay? And uh, I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who wouldn't say that if they were really being honest with you. Mm-hmm. But uh, other than the first flight, uh, the, very, the very first time I flew a prop that I designed and carved myself, and it worked even better than I was expecting it to. I got the biggest damn rush you ever saw in your life. Wow, this actually works and I'm not dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's other memorable flights, but I think that has to be, be uh, the one. Very nice. Well, Mr. Swain, thank you so much for joining us today. We, uh, we look forward to having you as a guest again because I know that there's a lot more stories in your uh, in your in your library i would characterize it as the manure pile is pretty high <laughs> but we're looking forward to more uh, more uh, bull and more lies so we have our uh, we have a piper archer pulling up or a cherokee there so uh, we're gonna yield the yield the microphone to them and thanks again for joining us and we look forward to you on our next episode you we'll bet. see you later ken you bet bye-bye You've been listening to CanardCast, a production of the Canard Owners and Builders Association. I'm Mike Beasley, the editor of Canard Aviation Magazine, which is the quarterly publication of the association. In addition to the magazine and CanardCasts, the Canard Owners and Builders Association provides an online repository for photos, articles, news, forum conversations, as well as a searchable member list to connect with other Canard enthusiasts. It is a valuable resource for anyone building and or flying these awesome aircraft. 
I invite you to join us by visiting www.canardowners.com and clicking on the membership sign-up link at the top of the page. As a member, you will have access to a wide variety of canard resources essential to building, flying, and owning canard aircraft. Additionally, you can find other canard casts on the Canard Owners website as well as at anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Finally, if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider donating toward or sponsoring future canard casts. You can find a donation link at the anchor.fm website. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, fly safe and we'll see you on the flight line.